Dear Old State is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Penn State football's home schedule might be finished for the year, but if you are looking to get your Penn State sports fix, hockey tickets, basketball tickets, they are available on the GameTime app. Men's basketball team is off to a strong start this year and has some big home games coming up too against Wake Forest, Maryland, Alabama, Big Ten play in January and February as well. Game time is a great place to go for those last minute tickets for good prices. And you can also click on your seats and, and view exactly what uh, the seats are, where they are, what it'll look like at the game. So check that out. Get your Penn State basketball and hockey tickets on Game Time. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. I am college football editor Matt Brown, and I'm joined by Athletic Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. The regular season somehow is over after uh, maybe the most forgettable game Penn State's ever played, Audrey. Whoa, Matt. Most forget. Yeah, definitely <laughs> most forgettable. But it was. <laughs> as, as I sit here doing Cyber Monday shopping, uh, <laughs> happy Cyber Monday, Matt. Uh, quick plug if you're looking to do your Christmas shopping, your holiday shopping a little bit early, you can give The Athletic as a gift subscription. We're running a special promotion uh, today for $39.99 for one year, and you get a free T-shirt if you sign up so you can extend your own subscription. Give it to a friend, uh, however you'd like. But Matt and I aren't going to be going anywhere in the off-season, so even though the regular season's done, uh, we'll keep recording podcasts, I'll keep writing, he'll keep editing, um, so just a little programming note, we won't be, won't be going anywhere, but Matt, what a forgettable game. Um, I <laughs> read about it what, on the athletic. Uh, yeah. On, you know what? I, I tried upon further review. I definitely tried to steer it away from the game itself and go more bigger picture and bowl outlook. And, um, even wrote about Micah Parsons and he now has two dogs. I didn't know that. Um, instead of Brutus, it's Brew and Simba. So Only the important breaking news here on Dear Old yeah, State. Yeah, hard-hitting news here um, on Dear Old State. But I just felt like I drove back, went to my parents' home in Downingtown for Thanksgiving and decided, like, oh, weather looks good. I'll head back Saturday morning. Matt, I hit no traffic whatsoever. <laughs> I came back to my place, got changed, went over to the game. And because it, you know, coinciding with Thanksgiving break, you didn't even know, which is saying something around here, that there was a football game going on in this town. It was like a ghost town. Went over, parked in my usual spot, and I was the only car in my parking lot. And I have, you know, a nice spot near the stadium. So it was very empty. Nounce crowd was like 98,000. Of course, goes by tickets sold. I'm sure a lot of those 98,000 tickets were not used. Um but again, that's what you expect when it's the game after Thanksgiving, an emotional letdown after Ohio State, and a Rutgers team that, quite frankly, Penn State sleepwalked through for three quarters and then still was able to beat handily. Yeah, the team seems like it lacked energy. Fans lacked energy. Uh, reporters probably I didn't lacked lack energy. Any. No, not me. No way. <laughs> and it, it, understandably, I mean, it's just 
what are we doing here? Why is this game happening after Thanksgiving, after the Ohio State game? Like, it's just a recipe for, yeah, this, this isn't a criticism of anybody. It's just like, you know, they, they lose this big game against Ohio State on the road. You got to come back. It's a holiday week. Rutgers is one of the worst teams in Big Ten history. I mean, the point spread was 40, but, you know, yeah. Penn State could have covered because Rutgers is just that bad, but it shouldn't be shocking that they didn't, especially when Sean Clifford sits out, Yitor Grossmato sits out, uh, Trey Kester Trey Field Kester, sits yeah. out, you know, Justin Shorter's in the transfer portal, and some guys got hurt and didn't, and, and went out. John like, Reed. John Reed. Like, it was just a lot of backups in. Oh, Will it was Levis, the mash unit, passes. <laughs> You know, you just, you add it all up, and it was a sleepy game that at least they put away uh, at the end of the game and kind of left no doubt. And Rutgers still did not score a touchdown. So 27 to six was not pretty, but they did what they had to do to get to 10 wins, which should not be taken lightly. No, it shouldn't. And James Franklin was asked afterward, something along the lines of, you know, everyone expected you guys to win handily. You didn't win as big as expected. Like, is that cause for concern or whatnot? And Franklin, of course, just downplayed it. it was like, hey, it's a win. It wins a win. We got the 10 wins. It was senior day. Um, I mean, Matt, I sitting there in the press box, I made the joke. I was like, oh, like, I wonder if the replay above me, like if they can just turn on the Wisconsin game right now, like much more interesting. Like, <laughs> you didn't do we miss really much there, there actually either. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So like near the Iron was, Bowl to watch. <laughs> well, it's funny because the reporter next to me, uh, he was watching the Wisconsin game on his computer. So I was kind of like glancing over looking at that. I mean, it was just, I thought going into it, like from an informational value perspective, you know, okay, you're going to see Will Levis. I assumed that they would go with Levis because I just figured, all right, Franklin said Clifford's been banged up um, the last couple weeks. You don't need him. So Will Levis learned, he said Tuesday that Clifford told him that he would be the starter. And I do think there's something interesting there, Matt, in the way in which James Franklin spoke about Sean Clifford not being available and the way in which Will Levis after the game spoke about Clifford not being available. Um, you know, Penn State, of course, does not talk about injuries. That's that's no surprise. Uh, but if, if you think back to the Indiana game, Franklin mentioned Clifford being banged up. If you think back to, obviously, Ohio State, Clifford, you know, can't finish the game after getting hurt. Franklin mentions that he's been playing hurt. Um, all those kinds of things. The, the wording that they used afterward, and I'm pulling it up here right now, uh, to, to me it was a little uh, unusual. And so Franklin said that uh, we just felt like rather than him each week gradually losing mobility, that this would give us the best chance to get him get him back and back 100% for the bowl game. Uh, and he said earlier on that Clifford had, quote-unquote, some medical things that he needed to take care of. Uh, of course, they didn't get into specifics, but he said Clifford could have played this week, but it would have changed how we treated him. Once we decided to treat him a certain way, it made him unavailable for this week, if that makes sense. Well, what I took out of that was maybe, Matt, speculating here, but maybe yeah. there was a minor procedure done. don't want to speculate about specifics, done. but... It sounds like yeah. some kind of procedure or something. <laughs> yeah, and like, hey, you've got a month between now and the bowl game. Now would be the time to do it. Um, as we saw last year, you know, with Tommy Stevens, they waited until right before the bowl game, uh, and he had his procedure, and then it, you know, the different different issue probably. Um, but then, of course, that lingered all off season. But looking at at that, I was like, okay, that was interesting. Noah Kane uh, still did not play. Franklin said that Kane was not a hundred percent. Again, Matt, this program with injuries, this is why 
we're always so cautious with what we say, what we write with it, because, you know, you didn't need Noah Kane against Rutgers. You knew you weren't going to need him, but you saw him for one series against Ohio State. Um, dating back to the Michigan State game when he got hurt, they didn't think it was a long-term thing. Well, turns out it looks like it was a long-term thing. I mean, it's just part of it. You don't know how his body's going to react because he's a true freshman. Um, but with all that said, Matt, I did think uh, Journey Brown played a heck of a game yet again, uh, gets over 100 yards, and was doing so on a really emotional day for him. Uh, one of his younger cousins had passed away the week prior, so he had gone back home to Meadville and then returned to campus last Tuesday and did not miss a practice because he told teammates that you know Penn State football is his second family and he wanted to be there and uh, that it was important for him to be there. So really an emotional day for him. But, I mean, Matt, you look at the future of this backfield, and I wrote about it in a pond for the review. I think Journey Brown is the best surprise for the offense this year. I mean, everybody was Ricky Slade, then it was Noah Kane, and understood, I still think Noah Kane's going to be great. Let's just get that out there. But uh, Journey Brown, I think most people, myself included, thought he'd be in more of a complimentary role this year. But... He's the featured guy. He's looked really good doing it. Uh, I, I think for sure a pleasant surprise. Yeah, he had 100 yards. Actually, the second leading rusher, Will Levis, for the record, led That's 10 right. student rushing, 17 carries, 108 yards, had a 49-yard run. Uh, Journey Brown then had 16 carries for 103 yards and three touchdowns on a 33-yard run. Journey Brown now tied for fourth in the Big Ten in yards per carry at 6.1, and he's tied for fourth in rushing touchdowns at 10. You know, still only 688 yards for the season, but he's kind of emerged with 100 yards in three of the past four games. And, you know, Ohio State, if he would have got 20 carries, probably would run for 100 yards too, had 11 carries for 64 yards. So, yeah, just great story. He's really come on strong. He's a guy who was like a high school football legend, but was still just kind of an overlooked three-star recruit. And you have all these highly touted guys. And, you know, I think you could argue that, I don't know, I, I think, you know, his production obviously has been the best. I still... I don't know who I would pick between Journey Brown and Noah Kane is like, who's the best running back on Penn State right now? But literally right now it is Journey Brown because we've barely seen Noah Kane in the second <laughs> half of the season. So I have to give him a lot of credit for that. Um, now, great to see. And, you know, Penn State, for all of the sort of frustrations about the running back situation this year, there is a ton of talent in that room uh, and potentially a really, really bright future for that running back room as well. And obviously you think they're going to, work very, very hard to try to keep Jaywan Sider on the coaching staff because he's somebody who a lot of people would be to. interested in because of his recruiting prowess and the success they've had with running backs as well. Yeah, I mean, he's what makes that room go. And you look at you know his success not only with developing running backs, but also as a recruiter. Um, to me, that would be you know off-season priority number one. Um, that, I mean, to me, that, that's a really, really important piece of it. And Ricky Slade did post on Instagram Sunday a photo of him ringing the victory bell that said, a champion is simply someone who did not give up when they wanted to. Till next year, Beaver. So, I don't know, a Matt, hint. if that a means hint. he's coming back. Coming back. Uh, you know, the only player currently, Penn State player, who was on the roster, who's in the transfer portal, uh, is wide receiver Justin Shorter. But you look at that depth in the running back room, I know that's one spot where you say, man, what are they going to do? Because you also look and they're slated to bring in two guys as well in this 2020 recruiting class. So do you have six scholarship running backs? I don't Maybe. know. <laughs> I mean, is this is, I guess, another another theory here, and I've talked about it with some people. 
Ricky Slade, the best attribute we saw from from him this year was catching passes. Um, is that something that they try to do with him more next year, assuming he's around next year? Maybe that is kind of a way that they try to tap into his skill set a little bit. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you just look at the really the, the excess of wealth in that room. It's, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. Um, but I think the other thing with Journey Brown, Matt, the perspective that he brings to that room, I think, is invaluable because, like we said, he wasn't that five-star guy. He wasn't that four-star guy. Uh, James Franklin said afterward, too, that in his 24 years of coaching, he didn't think he's ever been around a kid who has overcome more adversity in his life than Journey Brown. Um, you know, I think when you bring that perspective off the field, right, and it's, you know, all those running backs, they're different personalities, they like to have fun, where Noah Kane's like the more serious guy, and they've all said that, but when you have a player, and I pulled this quote up too, because this is just kind of like mature beyond their years, but Journey Brown was asked after the game about, you know, losing his cousin the week prior and all that, and he said, when I roll out of bed, I think about the people who are still here. I think about what I got to do for my family up here at Penn State and my family back at home. That's why I get up every morning. I knew they would do the same because they sacrificed for me. I mean, this guy is just happy to be here. Um, and really, the production's matching it. I mean, it's to me, this is like, he's arguably the best story on that team um, when you look at what he's overcome and all those kinds of things. But to see the production matching it is really good. And yeah, Jaywan Sider, in my mind, would be the... I want to say the coach that you could least afford to lose in the offseason, but Sean Spencer, I think, would be would be right there with him. Well, speaking of losing somebody, we didn't mention it. We haven't really talked about it in depth because we didn't have a, a Thanksgiving podcast. So mm-hmm. Justin Shorter is in the transfer portal, the former number one uh, wide receiver recruit in the country. Obviously had a frustrating year and kind of weird timing before the last game after a game in which he did actually have three catches against Ohio state, but it was a game also where he did not start again, where Dan Chichesena was in the starting lineup. Uh, so shorter, who's only a redshirt freshman. And unless he gets a waiver, which who knows, I, who yeah. knows what reasons people come up with for waivers anymore, uh, would theoretically have to sit out next year if he transfers somewhere. So are we surprised? I don't know. It's it, what the timing was certainly strange. Yes, I was surprised by the timing of it, I think, more so than anything. So this happened last Tuesday. Um, Franklin had met with Justin Shorter before the press conference, and then Pete Thamel tweets that Shorter's in the portal while Franklin is doing his Tuesday press conference. So that was certainly weird timing. Um, so James Franklin's getting asked about a player going in the portal, like literally right as the player entered the portal. Um, but I think the the thing here, Matt, is, you know, you look at a Juwan Johnson and change of scenery, obviously different situation for Juwan, but change of scenery was good for him. I just wonder with Shorter why it hasn't worked to this point. And, you know, last year you could point to the injuries. This year starts off the season slow, then gets hurt, misses like a game and a half, two games, uh, then comes back and just never puts it together. But I think that position as a whole, you look at it. So Daniel George started then this past week, which I thought was weird because it was senior day and Chisina had started prior. And I'm not making, you know, stating a claim to start one guy over the other. I just, I don't know. I thought it was kind of weird because he had started before and it was senior day, but whatever. Um, so Daniel George starts and really doesn't do anything to impact the game. Um, Although, they did take to, be, a, to be fair, 
they didn't really do anything to impact the game in the receiving core except for right. Johns Hudson because it's not like right. Will Levis was out there. They weren't throwing the ball. Being right. Peyton Manning. They, they, the one shot they took to Daniel George, um, Levis underthrew the ball. Arguably a 50-50 ball, but he underthrew it, um, gets intercepted. You know, But I think, Matt, the point I want to make here about these contested catches, the 50-50 balls, and I'll have to go back and look at this in the offseason. So I could be wrong here, but I just feel like off the top of my head, there have been a lot of 50-50 balls that Penn State's receivers have not made this year. Um, you know, you think back to the Minnesota game. 2016 spoiled everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really did. And, like, you you know, you were spoiled by watching Allen Robinson. You were spoiled by watching Chris Godwin. And, I mean, you just – you haven't seen it. And I get it. It's not fair to compare some of these guys to those upper echelon guys as well or playing in the NFL, playing at a high level. Um but it just it just to me seems like the production, especially with those big bodied receivers, is something that Penn State has to figure out how to get to, how to make it work, because you know Hamler's your one. You know that Pat Fryermuth is gonna get a lot of targets, and we'll get to that in a second too, because he said he's coming back next year, so that was some good news after the Rutgers game. Um But beyond that, I mean, Jahan Dotson's been pretty sporadic. Uh, with his receptions, but then you look at the number three spot, and it's, the production's just not there. So it's, something's got to give in the offseason, I think, with, with that number three job. Um, but, yeah, Matt, I guess we should get to Pat Fryermuth now because that was a nice little uh, Saturday news, night like, news after dump. the game than during the game. Like <laughs> It was so weird. Like, the game, um, for listeners, I called Matt after I left interviews, and I was like, Matt, like, I don't know what to write because, like, this game was irrelevant. Really nothing interesting or exciting happened for most of the game or like nothing that is going to be warranted, you know, worth writing. Um, And I was like, well, I think really the stuff afterward was more interesting. So we were doing interviews in the media room and Pat Fryermuth had a graphic from Penn State that was made up that he tweeted out saying that he's committed to being here next year, um, that he found out, he said within the last couple of weeks that he was eligible for the draft uh, but he's not going to declare because, of course, he was a sophomore, but reclassified high school, so that's why he was eligible, but does not plan to leave early. So that was that good piece of news, but Fryermuth did not meet with the media. He met with Penn State's in-house media on their post-game show, so I listened to that Sunday, um, and he just basically said, you know, he's looking forward to coming back. He's not anywhere near close to graduating or where he wants to be with his degree, so that was a big factor in it. Um, and he told, you know, Penn State's in-house media that he has unfinished business here. So some good news there, Matt, for them, for sure. DraftKings Sportsbook is officially available in Pennsylvania. As the trusted leader in daily fantasy, DraftKings has brought their expertise to legal sports betting and is already America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, you'll definitely want to take advantage of the convenience to bet wherever, whenever, with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. This week, DraftKings has a pro basketball promo you won't want to miss. It's simple. Bet on Philly to win. If they score 76 points first and end up losing, get your bet back up to $25. Plus, DraftKings is based right here in the U.S., not offshore, so you know your funds are safe and secure. And if you're already betting in Pennsylvania, bet with another book and take advantage of DraftKings' great sign-up offer. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code TOSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a free bet just for signing up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Don't forget, sign up with code TOSS to place your first bet, and you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. 
Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, I don't want to say I'm surprised because he is, you know, even though he's eligible in three years out, it's still only two years at Penn State. And uh, I'm sure there's plenty more goals he has. But it is a little bit surprising because, you know, he is kind of universally recognized, not, maybe not by the Mackey Award, but by, <laughs> like, uh, NFL draft types. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, ESPN's Mel Kuyper put out updated position rankings last week and had Pat Frymuth second among tight ends. So he's, you know, he's a guy who's probably being viewed as maybe like a second round pick type. Um, certainly one of the best tight ends potentially in the class. So uh, it's, you know, hard to overstate the importance of him returning. He's this, you know, a complete tight end, such a huge asset on offense. And as we've said, the, you know, wide receiving core has been pretty inconsistent. And there's still a decision to make for KJ Hamler, who's a redshirt sophomore uh, and eligible for the draft, certainly has had, you know, we, we mentioned he's had a few drops this year, but overall he's had a fantastic year. We know he's such a dynamic, dynamic threat. Um, but and a return guy. So Fryermuth is back, but you know all eyes will turn now to basically Tamler. It's it's Gross Matos, who everybody expects. We don't know anything for sure about Gross Matos, but based on you know his production over the past three years and where he was viewed going into the year, you would expect he'll probably turn pro. But we don't know for sure yet. We're waiting, but that's just everybody's you, assumption. Can, Hamler's the mystery. It feels like. Yeah, and I think, I mean, these are questions that I don't think we're going to get answers to potentially until I'm going to estimate that Penn State will probably do their on-campus bowl media day somewhere around like December 20th. So, you know, I would expect that those guys, since they are key players on the team, would meet with the media then and certainly be asked about it. Now, they may not say one way or another. I'd say wait until after the bowl game is what I would expect. (laughs) Yeah, uh, but, you know, if they're coming back, and they know they're coming back, then maybe they'll just want to kind of get it over with and get it out there. Uh, but typically it's become this post-bowl game frenzy. And I guess here's the other thing, Matt. And I wrote about it in a pond for the review with regards to Gross Matos. So he did not play Saturday, was in street clothes, had his left arm in a sling, and had it like left wrist, hand heavily wrapped. Um, he finished the Ohio State game with his hand uh, in a cast was like on and off the field late in the game, came back, finished the game. So again, we don't know if he would have been able to play Saturday had it been a more important game with a more meaningful opponent, who knows. But if it's something, and again, we don't know this, but if it's something that maybe is like a lingering thing or whatnot, maybe we don't see him in the bowl game if the plan is to turn pro. I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen Penn State players go that route. Um, you know, obviously Saquon Barkley didn't do it, but you have to wonder too, like, is that something? hurt already, yeah. And does it matter if it's a New Year's Six game, right? If it's New Year's Six, does he play? If it's not, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Um, just kind of something to, to think about here in the next few weeks. But I think the Hamler part is really interesting. And I don't know what he's, what he's going to do, kind of what are all the factors at play uh, for him to make that decision. But you look at this offense without him, Matt, and boy, that that's some uphill sledding if he's not coming back next year. Uh, I just don't know what how this offense would function without him, uh, just because there's not a player with his skill set on this roster. And you know, we spent a lot of time this this season talking about the lack of depth in the receiving core and how that's shown up time and time again. Uh, so that uh, the offense would look a heck of a lot different if he does not come back, if he does come back and you're already a firemuth back, that's pretty exciting for Penn state. Um, but 
again, some big decisions coming up here in the next month or so. Yeah, there would just be, okay, what kind of development can they make in the receiving core, which we can't, you know, don't rule that out. I think, you know, I think John Dotson has shown nice flashes this year. Mm -hmm. He does have 462 yards, could go over 500 for the season. Not like some huge season, but for his first year as a starter, it isn't bad. Um, And so I think he's going to develop into a really nice player for Penn State. It's just, you know, our assumptions about 2020 were that, okay, Justin Shorter would be a five-star player. (laughs) Like, who who would, this was going to be a breakout year and he'd start, Gearing up toward thing. that. I mean, Shorter technically can still come back to Penn State if he'd like, if he'd so choose, and Penn State would have to accept him back, which, again, I don't know why they wouldn't because he's a five-star receiver, but I, I don't see that happening, Matt. I mean, I think this is a kid who, as soon as he went in the portal, probably Before the last game, a ton of interest. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to have his pick of suitors. Um, I mean, he is a New Jersey guy. Who knows? Rutgers. I don't know. But, you know, I, I just think you look at you look at him, you look at the caliber of recruit for whatever reason it didn't work here. Who knows? Um, but as we saw with Lamont Wade, just because a guy enters the portal doesn't mean he's leaving, uh, although the percentages would certainly dictate that the vast majority of those guys do end up going elsewhere. Well, speaking of the future, we should also get to James Franklin was asked after the game about all the speculation Ooh, about Florida yeah. State. And I'll just go ahead and read his direct quote here from your article. He said, quote, there is nobody that would want this not to be talked about more than me. I'm hoping this is going to be over very quickly. Like I told you, I love Penn State. I love our players. I don't see that changing anytime soon. It's a little bit the nature of college football, but I love Penn State. I love our players. I love what we're doing here. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Hopefully all this conversation will be over very shortly. That sounds like a man trying to hammer out the last details of a contract extension to me, but you know. Me too, Matt. (laughs) Yeah. The wording again there I thought was really interesting. And when Franklin was asked about this, you know, he was asked because obviously, you know, Florida State, his name had been connected there. Who knows with USC, uh, should the job come open if, if that's, you know, an option, whatnot. But Franklin's wife was, she usually watches the post-game press conference from off on the side. So she was standing there. One of his daughters was standing there when he was asked about this. And I was like, oh, this could be a little awkward. Like, who knows, you know? Um, but then he, he said what he said and that he's optimistic that this conversation will end soon. Well, one way to end it, and that's, of course, would be with an extension and kind of like a, hey, you know, Sandy Barber, the ball's in your court now. Uh, this is a 10-2 team. He says he's committed to being here. Again, I mean, Matt, who knows? Coaching searches are weird all the time. Coaches can change their mind for a multitude of reasons, uh, but yet they get mad when their recruits do the same, which, again, bizarre, (laughs) but this is the world we live in. Um, So I just think, you know, not only was it going to get asked about by the media, but James Franklin was hitting the recruiting trail Sunday, as were all of his assistants. And parents are going to ask him about it. Kids are going to ask him about it. High school coaches are going to ask him about it. Um, it's in Penn State's best interest to hammer out an extension sooner rather than later with the early signing period coming up, especially. I mean, you're looking at a class that they're they're aiming currently has 28 verbal commits in it. They're hoping to sign at least 30 guys. That was the number they gave out in the summer at Big Ten Media Days. So you still have some work to do with this class, but these kids need reassurance because if you're asking them to early enroll here um, around like January 15th at the start of the semester – they got to know, you know, where things stand. So, I, I mean, I thought that was between Franklin and Fryermuth. That's why I wrote about that after the game. I thought that those were the most interesting, most newsworthy developments that came out of a sleepwalk against Rutgers. And, you know, I guess, Matt, if you're James Franklin, 
you know, what more are you looking for in terms of maybe support from Penn State? Because we've heard him countless times about facilities and wanting to make these upgrades. And we do know that, you know, they, they've done a ton of renovations in Lash during his time here. The facility master plan for Penn State Athletics, who the heck knows where that stands? I mean, that's, I don't think we're going to see anything done with Beaver Stadium probably in the next five years. You know, it, it just, they haven't done anything with it yet. They keep saying, you know, they're looking at plans and all these things and continuing to raise funds. But I mean, this has been going on now for what, like two, two and a half years. Uh, nothing's happened yet with the biggest piece of your stadium, your facility master plan. Uh, but I mean, he's got, he's gone to bat for his assistance before he's gotten them more money. Um, so I just, I wonder what are some of those things that are maybe happening right now across campus behind the scenes, assuming they're trying to hammer something out. Well, use the leverage when you got it. And James yeah. <laughs> Franklin just won 10 games again, third time in four years. They can win 11 games for the third time in four years. They could finish in the top 10 for the third time in four years. They did finish, Penn State finished in the top 10 three times in five years in the 2000s, late in Joe Paterno's run. They've not done three in four years since the first four years in the Big Ten. So uh, obviously, you know, just a, a run of consistency here. The program's been rebuilt. And again, we've talked about a potential for a high ceiling in 2020, depending on some of these decisions, how the roster shakes out. But we should move on quickly now to, yeah, Penn State is 10 and 2. The case has been made. It wasn't the most emphatic ending to the season, but the selection committee has really liked Penn State this year. You know, they were number yes. four in the first playoff rankings. They were the top two loss team last week. Um, I think Wisconsin will jump Penn State this week based on the blowout win over Minnesota. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see because there's a lot of teams stacked up together right now. I'm an AP voter. Mm-hmm. I had Penn State... Um, 11th, I believe. I should remember this off the top of my head. But, uh, <laughs> it's been a long day. It's been a long day. I have Penn State, yeah, 11th. I have Penn State behind Florida, who has the win over Auburn. But I, I think, you know, it's you could make a case for Penn State anywhere from like 9 to 13 at this point. And based on how you take into account head-to-head, you know, where you put Minnesota. So, I don't know. I, I The feeling is that even though Penn State and Minnesota have the same record, Minnesota might have just taken itself out of the Rose Bowl. It seems to be maybe down to Penn State and Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Um, So every every Penn State fan should be a massive Ohio State fan, it feels like, this week. Yeah, and it'll probably feel very, very weird for you guys to do this. I understand it's going to be difficult, uh, but that's, that's what you want. You want Ohio State to blow out Wisconsin again for the second time this year. Because uh, that gives Penn State their best shot. And then, Matt, I mean, the other thing, you look at the Orange Bowl, well, Florida beat Florida State handily. Um, does Florida catapult Penn State? Probably, I would think. I don't know. I don't know. I, we'll see. I mean, Florida State's me, not any good. They're 6-6. Six and six, so. Right. But you, you, look at, you look at Florida as a whole, where this is where had Penn State beaten Rutgers like 50-7 to seven or something, um, it would be different than the way it looked. I I wonder, though, Matt, what – I mean, just – I'm very, very curious Tuesday night to see the new set of rankings, what happens, um, because if Wisconsin makes it a close game uh, with Ohio State, then what do they do? You know, then you're still talking a three-loss Wisconsin team, winner of the West, 
beat Minnesota, but also lost to Illinois, would have lost to Ohio State. But twice. sometimes the committee doesn't penalize teams that much for losing the extra game. That's mm-hmm. where that's where yes. it comes into play. I don't know. It's kind of all a mystery. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I just I mean it's such a weird year when you look at the Big Ten and how all these teams are bunched up there and. I mean, I, I just feel like for Penn State, it, it's a wide open thing right now where yeah. it's like, okay, I, I could believe that they'd go to the Rose Bowl. I could I, probably a little bit more difficult to believe the Orange Bowl at this point because um, who knows what happens, you know, with Alabama. Root who knows for, what happens with Florida. Here, here's what you want if you're rooting for like the Orange Bowl as the quote unquote fallback option. It's you want Georgia to beat LSU because if Georgia beats yeah. LSU, both of They're those in. teams are probably making the playoff, which bumps the next SEC team to the Sugar Bowl, which. Again, we'll see how the playoff rankings shake out. I, I still think it's going to be Alabama. Uh, and then it's Penn State or Florida for the next spot. And Because the Orange Bowl goes to the top remaining ranked team from the Big Ten, SEC, and Notre Dame. And the, But with the way things shake out this year, the top Big Ten team that doesn't go to the playoff goes to the Rose Bowl. The top SEC team that doesn't go to the playoff goes to the Sugar. So you're going down to like the third or fourth team in one of those conferences, depending on how things play out. So a lot of moving parts here. And it's going to be interesting to see where Penn State is relative to Wisconsin, to Minnesota, to Alabama, to Florida. All of this matters for the for and the bowl conversation. Fall, you know, do they fall out of the New Year's Six despite going ten and right. two? I mean, who knows? Like it, the it, Cotton Bowl is still a, a possibility too with that last at large spot if they do slip. So yeah, so you got the Cotton in there, and then don't rule out the Outback because who the heck <laughs> right. knows? And the mayor of Tampa just followed me on Twitter yesterday, Matt. So what does that mean? <laughs> Um, it's just, this is like the, just the most interesting, but yet bizarre time of the year where you're just trying to figure out, but literally no one will know anything for sure, um, until Sunday. So that'll, uh, well, and of course, Matt, we'll get into the bowl stuff more later this week. As always, since there's no game to preview, we're going to have to get a little creative here, come up with some different things to talk about on dear old state. Um, but once we get that bowl schedule, like for example, Penn State, the players are off till Thursday afternoon. Um, the staff's out recruiting, so they're pretty much everybody's just like taking a breath, regrouping, uh, and then once you know the bowl opponent, Penn State will set their practice schedule, all that stuff. Even though like right now, I guarantee you, they know what day they're leaving for all of these different possibilities yes. <laughs> um, because there's so much advanced planning and advanced scouting that goes into these things. Well, we will be back. That means Thursday for another subscriber-only edition of Dear Old State on The Athletic Only. So please subscribe. If you're not a subscriber, read Audrey's content about Penn State. We'll have plenty of pre-bowl and post-bowl coverage to come. And, uh, or we'll be back. take advantage of our Cyber Week there sale at The Athletic. $39.99, one-year subscription, $79.99, two-year gift subscription. Again, you get a free T-shirt. Uh, which is, I believe we offered this once last year with the t-shirt. So uh, here we are again. We'd love to have you. Uh, if you're not, again, you also get access, one subscription to everything across our network. So you're talking like 400 writers. Um, and the app is so easy to use, Matt, that my parents love it, which really tells you something. There you uh, go. I use it. My parents use it. Uh, truly a great gift. There you have it. Subscribe to The Athletic, please. And thanks, but thanks for listening to Dear Old State. Thanks to Audrey. Thanks to all of our listeners for sticking with us through this this uh, first season of Dear Old State. The regular season is complete, but as we said, still a lot more to come. And we're going to find out where Penn State will play its 13th game, see if they can get to 11 wins again. So thanks for listening to Dear Old State. We will be back Thursday on The Athletic. The Athletic.